on Twitter at Natural High Club or go straight to the website thenaturalhighclub.com. And remember to subscribe to the Natural High Podcast through whichever platform you're listening to get every new pod straight to your phone. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Natural High Club. And in this episode, I speak with peerless photographer and great friend Chris Robledo about instant connections, BLM, San Francisco, red wine and flip-flops, as well as loads more. We met in San Francisco in August 2017. I'd recently leapt into the unknown by moving to America. I was flying solo in a new city and wanted to engage with it as much and as quickly as possible. I'd been told great things about the Castro by friends and wanted to check it out for myself. The art walk, which comprised a boozy jaunt through half a dozen galleries, lent me the opportunity to sample some culture and meet some peeps. Gallery number two was Spark Arts. I sauntered around this pleasant and cosy place for a while before bumping into an uber-friendly guy who housed all the giddy enthusiasm and zest of someone who'd just been hatched. Even though we instantly clicked, I still couldn't have expected Chris Robledo to become such a great friend. Don't get me wrong, he's a pain in my ass, but I love him dearly and probably always will. I didn't feel the need to plan this episode at all because with certain friends, the conversation flows so well, you could literally talk forever if you didn't have to pee so desperately. So sit back and enjoy my interview with the fascinating and lovely Chris Robledo. You sound I want me good. to sound pristine. This is my <laughs> podcast debut. This is my moment, dude. <laughs> There's me getting excitable again. I promised I wouldn't do that. <laughs> hey, um, well, whatever works. If this works for you, I'm down. This does work. And you know what I'm most disappointed about is that whatever else comes out of this podcast, I probably won't be able to get you to say those nice things about me again that we had in the first take. <laughs> That just sounded so heartfelt. And just so that my audience knows, he thinks I'm one of the greatest people that he's ever met. <laughs> Maybe you can provide a transcription. Yeah, oh, I will. Oh, darling, yeah, I will. You'll make it up. <laughs> I'll be working into the small hours to get that out. <laughs> Absolutely. We have a very strong connection. It's one of those effortless uh, connections, instant connections. We've always been great friends and it's always felt very comfortable between us. And we were saying that perhaps it's hard to describe why and, you know, describe it scientifically or analyze it. We just have this certain easiness about our relationship, don't we? You think so? <laughs> <laughs> it never no, it never drains my energy to hang out with you, whereas it <laughs> does with most people. But with you, it's just like we start and then we, we just never stop. We just... The conversation yeah. flows so so well. Yeah, and I, you know, it just comes down to I think chemistry between people. You just never can predict when you put two people together, you know, what'll happen, right? And that's kind of the beauty of life. But I think with you, um, you know, just when I first met you, uh, that moment you walked into the Spark Arts Gallery of the Castro wearing your flip flops and super tight jeans <laughs> and floppish. English hair. <laughs> um, it just was like an instant sort of comfortable connection. I felt like I, I had known you for a really long time, you know, and and I think we're very similar personality wise, you know, we, we like to tell jokes, we are curious about people. So there was also that that we had in common. So we're chipper, aren't we? We're chipper people. We're lighthearted people. Do you, you know, I always, I always find, uh, I, I don't necessarily get on that well with people who take life really seriously. Do you think it's important to take life seriously? Or do you think, you know, are, are we basically just clowns because we don't take life seriously enough? 
No, I think it's important to, I think it's important to have both. Um, you know, I, like I, I can speak for myself. I think there are a lot of times where I'm taking life a little too seriously and it causes me a lot of stress, you know? Mm. Um, you definitely but, worry at times. I've seen uh, you overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah, I'm a bit of a warrior sometimes. So it is, uh, I work really hard to sort of step away from that. And, and, and my personality, like you said, is more on the lighthearted side. So I try to inject some of that into the seriousness of life sometimes. So, it, you know, it's important to know when to take life seriously, I think, you know, um, mm. kind of not sweat the small things, right? Because um, And it's all small stress. stuff, right? A lot of it is, but, you know, there's other times where you're dealing with, like, you know, health issues, financial issues, you know, those are big stressors, you know, and uh, I think, yeah, you got to take action and try to, you know, fix it certain situations. But for the most part, I think that people forget to have a sense of humor about life and to just laugh at, at strife sometimes. That really does help get you through things, you know? You mentioned health there. And I think that most of the time when I'm worrying, I realize after, you know, hours of agonizing that it's actually got nothing to do with my health and my health is actually good. And I should never, ever be complacent about that because if you've got your health, I do believe you've got everything. The rest of it's just a state of mind. Yeah. It is a state of mind. You're right. Um, I know I get stuck in um, situations, you know, where, uh, you know, I stress too much about a particular issue, let's say. So it is hard for me to get to that point thinking, well, it's just a state of mind. Right. But when I do, though, it's just like everything clicks, you know, um, that was another thing my father sort of instilled in me. It's really about um, your perspective on the situation. And there's always a solution when you feel trapped or if you're in trouble with anything, right? Mm. So it really is about kind of getting perspective on the situation, but health is super important. And I think if you have that, you can tackle anything. That sounds a little corny, but health is super important. Oh my God. And also, again, we were talking before about how, you know, sometimes it's, as your dad said, it's important to look at other people uh, in order to realize how lucky you are in your own life. Are you still with right. me? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, um, and, and, and yeah, and we are. We are so bloody lucky. Yes, you know, my dad, uh, like I told you, he always, you know, told me and my siblings that no matter how bad you think you have it, there's always somebody else out in the community, out in the world that is, has it so much worse than you and suffering so much more. And I think that really helped make us into empathetic individuals and, and caring about others besides ourselves. I think that's so important to have, you know? Um, and I think right now, just the state of the world and seeing the way people are just not getting along and, and, and learning from each other and supporting one another, you know, it makes me sad because I feel like that's what's missing. You know, we don't, we don't care enough about other people to- Oh my God support and uplift right it's all about like just selfishness of like well and you know a lot of it sometimes it's just because you know like some people are just trying to survive you know when you're in survival mode it's like you're not really thinking about the person next to you and what you know what's good for them 
It's so true. And I, and I suppose with coronavirus, we have actually been in survival mode um, directly. But a lot of the time we, you know, well, most of the time, most people have more than they actually need. So the whole greed thing, it's, it's very misplaced because we've all got enough. You know, there's enough to go around. But for some reason, we, whether through nature or nurture, we've got this constant drive, haven't we, to have more than we've got. Yeah, and I've always thought that was just such an American way of life, you know? Uh, it, you know, capitalism, right, is what it ties back to in my mind, you know, and how the media throughout the, you know, ages here in America, specifically, it's just the more, bigger is better, you know, the more you have, the more successful you are, you know, it's all about like cars and, and owning a home and and those things can be important, obviously, but that's not what life is about. Um, but I think too many of us feel like that is what makes somebody happy and successful. And there's a blissful ignorance to it as well, isn't it? You can sort of lock yourself away from what's going on in the wild, wider world. Like, you know, I was going to say to you that I, look at, I looked at the newspapers over the last few days and I've never been so depressed with the status quo. You know, the newspapers, when you look at the front page of newspapers these days, it's all just about hatred if you boil it down. Um, do you think that this, this, everything that's going on in the world at the moment with coronavirus, with Black Lives Matter, do you think it's a necessary reaction? Um, in order for us to progress the civil rights movement and for us to progress as, as, as a species uh, to, to be able to move forward and exist beyond the next hundred years? Or do you think that we're just basically in a permanent downward spiral now and we're seeing like the prelude to end of days? <laughs> it, well, it can certainly feel that way based on what the newspapers are saying. Um, and I think some days I know I feel that it is end of days. Uh, but no, I think... You know, my outlook in life is always, um, you know, to kind of get perspective on, on just life in general. And I also have a positive outlook in, you know, when, when, when it comes to anything, especially right now with like the pandemic. I mean, none of us have ever uh, been through something quite like this. This is like unprecedented, you know, we're living history. And at the same time, we're also having to come to terms with the systemic racism in this country. And it's a moment of reckoning. So I think it's important somehow, and, and again, I don't mean to get a little too, you know, kind of hokey, but I do believe in the universe and how the universe sometimes writes the wrongs that are happening in the world is the way I kind of view things. And I think that maybe right now, with what's happening with like the pandemic and also with the protests that are, you know, occurring, um, that that is what's going to sort of forge us into a better society, to be honest. I think it was necessary for these two things to come together, that, uh, you know, this, you know, our society needs to kind of come together to fight both, you know, because both are are, are killing people, you know, we have we have this virus that's highly contagious. Um, and, and, th and that's the other thing too. It's just, I mean, we can talk about that, uh, a little later, but, um, it's just so crazy to see people's sort of reactions to both situations, you know, 
um, I don't know. There's just so much to unpack here. So I don't know which lane we should go down. on. It's all just going to be beautifully organic. But you know, the thing is, I've seen with the Black Lives Matter thing, I've been so proud recently because I've seen a lot of young people basically mobilizing and just saying, we've had enough. We're not going to take this. You're the government. You're supposed to be governing for us. You're public servants. You're supposed to be, you know, meeting out our will, but you're not doing that. And, and And the government's response to people protesting was to put a curfew in place which you know it's just sort of completely goes against the idea of democracy doesn't it it's 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 such a paradox it's so hypocritical and it's so representative of the government that we have at this point in time but i do see a little bit of hope coming from the younger generations and the fact they're they're doing something about it i went and did some protesting last weekend and i feel mobilized i feel energized i feel as if the people are getting together and saying, you know, we're going to take control of this situation now because we don't want the world to look like this. But I do remember a long time ago, a long time ago, we had the Rodney King case in America. Was it Rodney King? Who was, um, who was, Rodney King, yeah, and then there were the LA riots as a consequence. Now, that seemed seismic and apocalyptic at the time. Do you think it actually changed the conversation? And do you think that, I mean, with with George Floyd, I see all of this response and this reaction, and it's a real positive, something good came from his murder, it seems, in the short term, which is that people are saying, we are not going to accept this anymore. Do you think that will affect long-term change and do you think the Rodney King thing affected long-term change was it part of the evolution or do we just go back to the way that we were well and, and I could only speak to my perspective you know as a Mexican-American you know a lot of the issues obviously when it comes to racism because I think you know we brought up the fact that you know m- me and my family have a lot of privilege because we are light-skinned and we have more of that european look right so we didn't have to deal with a lot of racism growing up and to this day we don't um but i think um uh, i can just speak to the rodney king situation um i was really young uh mm. but i just remember the riots and the fires and and i just remember seeing the the video of Rodney King being oh pulled over God. and beaten, and it was just so uh, disturbing. And 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 here, and I'm and I will say this, you know, uh, my father, you know, he's um, you know he immigrated from uh, Mexico. As we were growing up, my mom and dad would always warn us about the police and and about these sort of situations of, of danger that we can face being Mexican American, right? So to always be careful and to be distrustful of law enforcement. I did, I do remember that. Um, and so when I saw Rodney King being beaten, it was such a, I had such a visceral reaction because I had never seen something like that ever, not in real life. And, and to see another human being go th- through something like that at the hands of law enforcement, it just confirmed everything that my family had warned us about. And so there was this deep distrust all, all of a sudden, like, it's almost like our world was, uh, was a little shattered. And now imagine being, a, you know, being a black person in America and having to realize that very early on that the color of your skin will possibly put you in a similar situation. I can't even imagine the kind of what that does to a person, right? It's, it, it, it just brings so much anger uh, out of me to, to realize that. Um, but no, I don't exactly how you feel. But, you know, honestly, I, after the Rodney King situation, um, it was a big moment in our history. But, and yes, conversations were being had. But did it cause change? As you can see, I don't, I don't really think it did. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, think, uh, I think we just sort of moved on. And, uh, 
This time though, I have to tell you, it feels different and I will agree with you that it is the youth who are sort of pushing this Black Lives Matter movement and unifying people to the cause. There's just something that feels so different about it and it, it is going to be the youth. They will lead us to a more just society. I do believe that. It's a strange situation because, you know, this, it, see, it almost feels like Donald Trump got into power as a reaction to the previous government, as if the previous government did really badly. But Barack Obama's one of the most popular presidents of all time, isn't he? Like, you know, he did a great job by and large, a few little uh, problems here and there in terms of some of the policies. But in general, he was, he was perceived as a good guy, somebody that was trying to make the world more civilized, make the world a better place. So... But then all of a sudden Trump got into power, which is still almost unfathomable. And, you know, he's had a big part to play in the shift towards conservatism and nationalism in this country, hasn't he? Um, I just think it may, you know, Trump being elected, I think there were multiple factors at play. Um, I think racism was a part of that. I think the patriarchy that, you know, um, there's, there, but um, I think Trump just sort of allowed certain aspects of uh, or certain Americans to be more truthful about their sort of feelings about different people that are different from them, you know, um, mm. kind of like enabled, emboldened, if you will, um, more conservatives, you know, to maybe just be who they really or or, or, or show their beliefs outrightly more. I don't know if that makes mm. sense. Too much coffee. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, racism's always been there. You know, we tend to turn a blind eye. I know I have in the past because you're sort of just wanting to live your life and believe the best in people. And you sort of live with blinders on, right? But it's yep. always been there. It's always been there. It's a, there's a big systemic problem with policing in America. You know, when I was a kid, not so much now, but still in Ireland, for example, police people, policemen and women are seen as or were seen as really respected members of the community, protectors, people that were friends that you could go and speak to if you had an issue and they would do their best to help you and sort it out. They were, they were peacekeepers. But it, uh, it, whenever I go drive past a, co a cop in America, my ass clenches, I suddenly <laughs> start feeling guilty, my palms sweat, it doesn't feel like they are friends. It feels very much like us and them. Is that how you feel? Uh, yes, absolutely. And I think, again, it's just the way our parents raised us to have distrust for law enforcement. And I just always remember uh, when I started driving as a teenager, every time I would see, and it's interesting because I never really talked about this, but every time I would see law enforcement, I would feel guilty. I would feel... yeah. Really, I start doing things out. badly. I start driving badly. Everything starts going wrong. <laughs> oh, well, you're just a bad driver. <laughs> I, I feel um, like I'm going to admit to a killing or something if they ask me if I've done it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, and I don't even know. I, I, I just assumed that everyone felt that way. But, um, you know, and I could be in a store and if law enforcement was around, I felt like I was being watched and uh, that I might do actually do something wrong but yeah and it's the fact yeah. they all have guns they all have guns as standard as well like that doesn't happen so much in europe but specifically not in england and ireland and so i suppose you just sort of feel in america if you say the wrong thing or if there's a misunderstanding you can wind up dead within a few minutes well you know i never felt that my life would be in danger uh 
And so that's uh, obviously because the color of my skin, you know, I, I never actually felt like my life would be in danger. So just mm. to know that, you know, our black brothers and sisters would have that feeling just by seeing a cop with a gun. But there are, of course, of course, there, and of course, there, there are many, many good people who happen to be cops as well. But for me, it feels as if it's a systemic problem in terms of the way um, the way police people and the police force are trained. Like for me, all of the emphasis should be on problem solving, um, social skills, resolution management, all of these things. This is where the focus should be on police you know, police people's training. And then the last five, 10% should be self-defense, you know, worst case scenario, last resort, having to be physical with people. But that should be like the taught as the very, very last resort because you look at so much of, you know, this sort of stuff that happens, you know, innocent people being killed. And it's always because of trigger happy cops, isn't it? They're always desperate to start manhandling people as if like that's part the first part of their training rather than the last part of their training which it should be you know an afterthought right and it's a system you know it's um but you know it's a system that was created by white men and yep. uh, and what you just have to look at the statistics you know black and brown people are incarcerated more often than anyone else in our society um, oh my just, god, I'm so pleased you brought that up because I watched the 13th recently. Have you seen that documentary? I have not, and uh, but I, I you absolutely I have to. It is a brilliant this. documentary, it should be on every school syllabus. It's essential viewing because it's shocking. It's about the 13th Amendment, which uh, in 1865 abolished slavery in the United States. It abolished slavery except as a punishment for a crime. So, if you were uh, you know, if you were punished for a crime, if you were convicted of a crime, then all of those slavery laws would essentially still apply to you. And so, it's just it, the 13th shows how slavery has endured. Ever since, 19, ever since 1865, it's endured, but just in different guises. You know, it looks different now. But some shocking statistics in there, for example, 6% of the American population is African-American, but 40% of the jail population in America is African-American. Yeah. And Africa, Africa, America has the highest rate of incarceration in the world. It talks loads about the privatization of jails and how, you know, good business in the jail business equals full prisons. So yeah. there's always an incentive for these privatized jails to have as many people as possible incarcerated. Yeah. Isn't, I mean, isn't that mind blowing and heartbreaking? I mean, it's like, you know, and, and, I, and, you know, because of what I do for work, you know, I work for a school union, you know, there's a lot of mm. talk right now about law enforcement on campuses, right? It's very controversial. Um, and, 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 you know, my, my understanding and my stance is that, you know, when you do have law enforcement, it does negatively impact uh, students, black students, uh, brown students more often. And it just sort of creates this sort of, uh, uh, kind of like school to jail system, you know, where mm. students that have, you know, issues that could be dealt with by staff, you know, by mental health services, um, instead are treated very negatively by law enforcement, handcuffed, you know, made to feel that they're not safe, right? Not even in, in a classroom where I think every student deserves the right to feel that they're learning in a safe and nurturing environment, you know, so there's that aspect as well. In our society but I think I think the larger point being is that you know we have to we have to deconstruct um, a lot of these systems that we've built as a society that punishes 
you know, black and brown people. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it should be like a no-brainer that everyone is behind something like that. We really need to look at all of our systems that were created by white men in power and, and think, hey, what, is, what isn't working? Because obviously a lot isn't working. It should be as simple as that, but um, it, I don't know. It's, it's something that I think that maybe we can now actually start talking about a real Mm -hmm. conversation that everybody can come to the table. You know, it's about learning too from each other, you know, because like how is a white person going to know the experience of a black person if there's no conversation, right? Oh my God, I'm so pleased you said that. I I, I had exactly this conversation with the guest on the pod last week where I said that in America, it feels like it's more because of how, you know, how deeply painful the history of racism is in America. A lot of people, a lot of white people, they don't want to talk about it. It's complete taboo these days. Safer not to talk about it than to say the wrong thing. And because of that, I feel that we're not necessarily having those conversations where, you know, somebody like me with all the good intentions in the world, I could still say something or act in a racist way without realizing it. And I want to talk about it more. I want to learn more about it so that I can be receptive. I can be empathetic and we can move forward together. But in America, a lot of the time, it feels like that con- those conversations aren't being had because they're so painful. Yeah, and I think that's a testament to you, uh, to who you are as a person, because I know that you are always willing to listen and to learn and grow. Right. I mean, even if there are, I mean, of course, when it comes to race relations in America, we are going to have missteps when we have these conversations. But we, the, these tough conversations need to be had in order for mm. us to grow as a society. Right. Mm. Like, I'm not always going to get it right either. And it is going to be painful because, as much as I'd like to think that I'm a woke person and that I'm an ally, um, you know, there's, I'm not an expert. You know, I mean, there's still a lot of, learning that I have to do myself and I also you know when 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 um you know the killing of George Floyd happened right and then you know we've had so many so many other people that have lost their lives at the hands of law enforcement um because of the color of their skin you know it, mm. it touched a lot of uh feelings within myself uh one of them was anger just at myself because I I felt part of the problem when like let's let's use the Rodney King situation and I know I was young but you would have thought that a situation that traumatic watching you know Rodney King get beaten and then also you know watching the uh, anger that flowed into the streets rightfully so um, when the riots occurred you would think that that moment would have made me want to be more vocal about you know racism and and I have to say growing up in my own family you know being in a Mexican culture you know I, I stayed silent a lot of the times when a lot of family members talk negatively about black persons in America. There was there was a lot of racism against anyone that was uh, that was black, and even in within our own Mexican culture, seeing colorism be a part of that. You know, the what were the representations of black people from these elements of Mexican people who didn't who felt you know who didn't like them? What was the what was the stereotype? They were you know dangerous that. You know, they uh, didn't work hard. Um, you name it. It was it was everything that I think the American sort of culture, racist culture, felt towards towards black persons in America. Right? Like I, we were perpetuating that from from listening to my aunts and uncles and others. Right? And so I thought, and I just remember just being silent, not agreeing with that internally. I knew it was wrong. It felt wrong. You know, but I never spoke up about it 
And I think mm-hmm. with the you know situations that are occurring recently, it made me really angry at myself. And I don't I don't ever want to be silent any any longer. I just it, it's important for me to to say something, you know, because everyone, every all all of us, we can play a small part in changing people's minds, you know, and uh, so yeah. Yeah, it's, and it's a it's a question I often ask because I, you know, I moan about the status quo, I moan about problems with the world and how there's racial inequality and all this sort of stuff. But I often think, well, it's you know, am I actually doing anything more than somebody who's not even moaning about it? Because I'm not actually, I'm not. I'm not doing any activism as such. So, you know, it's easy for me to talk about it, but, you know, I'm not really helping the situation either. But it's something that really, you know, drags my soul into the gutter every time I I think about these situations. And it's interesting because it's something I wanted to segue straight into. uh, You went back to university, you got a degree in photojournalism, and now you've got a a great job related to, to, to journalism. And as you say, it's sort of on the front line of social issues. You're working down in LA now. Um, Is it... Is it difficult for you to face, you know, because as I said earlier on, like ignorance is bliss. Sometimes you can just avoid all of these political situations in the world and just be, you know, just skip along in your own little bubble. But you've faced up to so many of the issues that are going on in the world right now, all the social ills. Does it make you less happy as a person overall? Does it make you more happy knowing that you're part of the conversation now and you're potentially doing something about it? You know, it's interesting. I like I know that the the work that I'm doing now is, is so important, you know, it, it, it's, it's contributing something to the community and, you know, we help educators and students. Um, and uh, I am very proud of the work that we do, but it doesn't make me happier because I think I always feel like I'm not doing enough. Um, mm. And so that's, and I'm actually in that kind of moment right now, uh, just sort of, realizing what exactly it is that I can do besides donating to a, you know, GoFundMe or, mm-hmm. or you know, in, in protesting. I remember um, when I was, when I hit San Francisco for the shelter in place, I was so angered by the George Floyd murder that um, I grabbed my camera and I went to a rally uh, because I wanted to photograph those people that are doing the footwork um, and, and listen to the speakers. Um, and I, I just needed to kind of document that and elevate it in whatever way I could on social media, you know? I, I just mm-hmm. felt powerless at the time. So I needed to take action and that's what I did. So what I'm trying to do is be okay with the things that I can do, right? And, and, and I'm asking that important question, what more can I do? And right. there's a lot can do right it just starts with asking what what can what could I do and, and it doesn't have to be you know there's there's a lot of activists out in the community that are doing awesome amazing incredible you know they're organizing people organizing marches a lot of it is coming from the youth too and that's incredible that's so inspiring so the us the older generation I mean the least thing that we can do is listen and learn and support and that can be, you know, going to a rally. That can be donating money. That could be standing up to, you know, a racist family member at dinner time, you know. Um, but it's also important to just educate yourself on the issues and why it's important for us to stand for Black Lives Matter. Because a lot of people, I think, feel when you say Black Lives Matter, you're negating other races. And that is not what Black Lives Matter is about. There's that misunderstanding. 
And what yeah, I but, but this whole this whole all lives matter movement, it's 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 so infuriating because it's like you know we are focusing right now on racial inequality, and that's right. why Black Lives Matter is so relevant. It described as such. Right. Absolutely. I mean, oh my God, it it almost brings me to tears when I think about why people would support All Lives Matter in a such an important moment right now that we can transform our society to make it more just and equal. If you really think about it, I mean, you know, Black people have suffered atrocious, atrocious genocide. Um, Oh my God. When they were brought, you know, it's a fact that it still happens now, you know, Absolutely. in this day and age. You know, we talk about great moments in history and the Emancipation Proclamation, but that was just a, you know, that was a proclamation which didn't end slavery at all, as we can see. It right. still happens nowadays. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a really depressing situation. And you're right, you know, I think you, you, sometimes you can be overwhelmed and feel helpless as if you can't do anything about the, the status quo in the world. And you know me, I'm a real optimist. But when I talk to people about the future, and civilization and stuff. I don't feel optimistic about it. But you're right. You, but I also think that you know selflessness can be one of the most selfish things. Like if you do stuff for other people to help other people, it makes you feel so good about yourself. So it is a selfish act in many ways, being selfless, helping the greater good, because it makes you feel so good about yourself. You know, when I went out last weekend, I was thinking about coronavirus and I was going to this march and Dee's like, we've got to get out there. We've got to show our support. And I was a little bit, you know, I was apprehensive about it. But once we went and got involved, I'm proud as punch. Yeah, yeah. I'm standing up for this. I'm not having it. Do you know what I mean? You feel so empowered yourself and you feel like you're, yeah, you're just representing in a positive way. Yeah, and, and that's what it should be about, is showing support to the community when you do something like that. It should feel good. We should all want to do good. Um, and, and I feel the same way, you know, even just, uh, you know, I was out in the Castro and, and they were doing a rally for Black Trans Lives Matter, right, which is another um, group of people that are, you know, just being murdered. Yep. Uh, and and deserve our support and just being a part of that rally um, really made me feel good because it you don't feel powerless you know you feel like you're giving a part of yourself to that moment um, and it's positive you know showing up showing up for your neighbor my god like it's just basic things like that that I think that needs to be taught we're looking at the world through a slightly different prism at this point in time thinking this is a moment where we can change our ways, you know, we can respect our fellow humans better, and we can also respect the planet better. Do you think we will succeed? Do you think we will change our ways? Do you think the world is at a pivot now and that we will go in a better direction now? Or do you think it will just just go back to business as usual? I just, I don't believe we will. Um, Maybe I'm being too much of an optimist, but, it just feels different. And I think that it's because, you know, these young millennials, what are they called? Not millennials, they're zillennials now, right? It's Generation mm. Z. Um, I see them on social media because, you know, part of what I do for work is being plugged into social media. I see the younger generation being so plugged in and supporting Black Lives Matter, Trans Lives Matter, um, Defund the Police, uh, you know, it's kind of just rising up to meet this moment. And that gives me a lot of hope. 
because really it's going to be the generation that kind of pushes us forward. Oh my God, absolutely. Maybe that's where the point of coronavirus is getting rid of all us old fuckers, <laughs> us dinosaurs, so the young people can come in and sort the world out. When you think about it, right, it makes a little bit of sense. You know, I'm telling mm. you, the universe is trying to write itself, I'm trying to get rid of Trump, which, you know, in a few weeks we'll have the opportunity to vote. And oh get my God. Listen, I'm just not saying that because... It's those 50% of, of gun toters in America, isn't it? The, the, the faceless masses that are voting for this man. Where are they? They're certainly not in California. I don't see any in California. You know, I'm all for respecting people's, you know, sort of political views, you know. But I think that when you have a, a, an administration that blatant, blatantly, you know, um, passes policies that uh, takes away the rights of minorities and, and uh, does atrocious things like lock up children, um, in cages that's still happening by the way that the media is not really talking about anymore because we're in a different moment but mm. um, I mean come on the proof is in the pudding I mean how could you support an administration that that treats its fellow citizens like that or just human beings in general who are just it just beggars belief it beggars belief life. when you yeah. know you think of America as the pillar of democracy and yet there are all these horrific things going on yeah it's it's a but I think it's a time of change right and so that is my hope is that we will be able to catapult ourselves into just a new, a better way of uh, treating one another in society. Um, we need to have conversations, you know, that's really important. We need to stop canceling people because they fuck up. You know, there's all that cancel culture that happens a lot on social media, you know, and some of it is, I, I mean, you've seen the videos, right? Where they call these uh, women Karens, these white women that are, you know, calling out black people for doing everyday things, you know, and yeah, people should be put on blast. Absolutely. You know, my hope, though, is that we can sort of, it's not about checking people, in my mind, it's about how many people that you can kind of pull into the fold of the conversation to, so both sides can sort of come to an understanding and hopefully yep. evolve together. It's not about jumping down somebody's throat and saying, F you, you know, you're racist, you're wrong. What, don't we want them to change their racist views, right? Like racism is taught, right? So why not teach somebody to to open up their minds and hearts so they couldn't agree more. You know, couldn't and it agree. starts with conversation. It's something that's lacking. One hundred percent. A lot of people just listen to people who they agree with. You know, they listen to the opinions of people they who they agree with, and and I feel that doesn't really improve your own understanding. Uh, of of big important serious conversations because you need to listen to the other side as well to get a better understanding for how they feel and where you know where they want how they want to move forward and just understanding the argument better i think it's really important you know i don't just want to have democrats on this podcast i need some republicans as well yeah if you know I any <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think it's fine and well to be republican Right. I think, again, I respect anyone's political views, but when you're trying to take away my rights as a gay American, uh, mm. Mexican-American, uh, then we have a problem. It's just an interesting time right now. I think that we need to be, you know, really open-minded, you know, right now and, and want to have these sort of uh, conversations. I feel like I, I keep pushing that point but uh, about conversation, but... Um, you know, it's true. I mean, how how else are we gonna look? Look for myself. Oh, the other thing that I did want to add is this. 
I was trying to like dance around uh, and find my way back to what I was trying to uh, kind mm -hmm. of make a point about. But it's about also realizing one's sort of privilege, which I think doesn't happen a lot of the times. It, when you're talking about something, right? Like you're not going to always understand every single subject that that you don't have experience with, right? So like I think it's important for us to to understand like what our life experience has been like and understand that it we don't know what it's like for another race to like what their life experience has been. So you true. Know, because we, we have no idea. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, a lot of people who get passes in life, you know, who are lighter skinned, you know, there is inherent privilege in the color of your skin. Be mindful oh of God. that. Accept so that. It's not that it's not bad. I mean, it sucks, right, for other people, but just accept that, right? You're very lucky, and mm. uh, and also want to equalize the playing field uh, for other people as well, right? Like, I don't know. It's so hard. true. I completely, agree. I totally understand what you're saying. You know, if you've got no choice in the fact of whether you're born white or black and or whatever the color of your skin is, but if you're born with this natural privilege, you are immediately complacent about it. You just assume everybody gets treated like it unless you actually put some deep thought in but i know that living in america i tick all the boxes for the free pass because i'm white i'm you know i'm fairly well off i'm middle class you know so i'm not going to be bothered by the police i'm not going to get that same experience with police people as other people are and um yeah and so it's easy for me to think oh america's not too bad and you read stuff like this just going on in the news and the problems that are happening right now and you just think fuck me you know, I, I'm ashamed. I would never identify as white. I'm ashamed to be to identify <laughs> as white. I, I I identify as a human being. Yeah, uh, and you know, it's like uh, I know certain people um, who actually don't want to admit that there's a problem. I mean, they're they're white, and their stance is more like, "Well, I had these opportunities. Anyone has the same. Everyone has the same opportunity. Yeah. You just have to work hard." Exactly. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you're black or white, as long as you they, they believe that this quote unquote American dream is available to everyone mm. in society. But mm. the reality is it's not. This government has actively uh, created roadblocks and, and, and purposely kept, I think, minorities down in this country and also kept us fighting against each other. Because, you know, while we're busy doing that, corporations and other like white Americans are, are, are successful. Like they're doing all right. They're away from all of that, right? Um, and that's just wrong. <laughs> it's another thing which depresses me when I look at the corporate world, you know, the ones with the real power over the, which way the, the, uh, the earth progresses. Um, uh, you know, do you see any corporations out there right now who've really grasped the nettle since coronavirus and thought we are going to really pioneer a new system of living in this world? You know, look at Amazon, for example, biggest company in the world, what are they doing? They're paying a little bit of lip service, you know, to the situation, but they're just making more money than ever. Why would they change their ways? Why would they, you know, affect systemic changes in the world to reduce, severely reduce the amount of packaging, you know, and just change the way our habits that are so, it's so important that we change our habits right now. But then the big corporations aren't really grasping the nettle with that, are they? They're not really providing us with any inspiration. I, I'm distrustful of all corporations. Um, you know, it's all, in my opinion, it's just whatever is benefiting their bottom line always. I mean, that's just business sense, right? But um, 
I think, you know, knowing that though, I think that there's a lot corporations can do to donate back to the community, whether it be, you know, to fund different programs that help, you know, minorities maybe with education, which is, I think with education, that's a big one, right? Um, uh, you know, or the environment or whatnot. So there is good that I think big corporations um, can do. Of course um, there is, but do they do, they do it? I mean, you know, so you look at like Nike and Coca-Cola and um, social, they, they have this section on their website. So being socially responsible, right? Like I think a lot of companies are now hip to that because consumers are expecting some social responsibility from, you know, the companies that they're buying from, right? So they do, you know, list sort of like some of the things that they're doing for the community. So again, you know, some good can come of that. But I think at the end of the day, more needs to be done. And, and as long as you have capitalism involved, I mean, come on, how, how, uh, how real is that from executives that are, you know, making these decisions like, oh, you know, let's, let's, I think it always boils down to blowing smoke up people's ass, right? You've, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You've nailed it in the first instance. You just said that it's about the bottom line. I could not agree more. I don't think any company is going to stop, is going to change their ways drastically in order to improve the longevity of the world. Uh, and in the short term, you know, compromise their, their earnings. They would just never do that. Yeah, but you know, the, the, there could be a shift though, because you know, the, their bread and butter are consumers. Yeah. And, and with the shifting winds of society, they can adjust, uh, they can adjust sort of their contributions to the community that can have positive impacts. And I think mm. the more and more that they contribute to uh, programs like education or whatnot, they give opportunities to other people. And then hopefully one day we have people of color that can continue to come into these positions of power that can maybe actually make real change. Uh, mm. at these huge corporations but you know it, it's got to be we got to give an opportunity to everybody like that mm. is just like you know not uh, full stop everyone has the same fucking opportunities when it comes to education and, and to jobs and 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 I think that is what is really going to cause change in, in our community yeah totally which are embrace embrace all of the richness the rich different cultures of this world that's what makes it so rich you know can you imagine how boring it would be if everybody in a country was just one race and they could all all they could talk about is their own histories their own culture so so boring the best places in the world and the best places that i have lived have been you know, cultural melting pots where you can meet people from all over the world and hear incredible, colorful stories and different ways of thinking and ways of living. Who would want to do without that? And America's built on multiculturalism, right? Like, well, maybe not built on it, but it's incredibly multicultural. Well, it, it, it is. And, but I think, you know, when you've been in power for so long, you know, when you're a, a white American, you know, and you've sort of had, held the chips and and now you're you're starting to see that oh whoa you know these other groups are demanding they want some equality. of my chips they want some of my chips there's that fear and i think anything coming from fear is bad like if you're acting out of a place of fear that can just lead to a really dark place right and i think that's sort of what happens um mm. it's very threatening to to be kind of like shaken out of power let's say but um no i mean it, it, 
I mean, what more can we say about this? That's just exactly, like, <laughs> and it's been pretty dark, but it's a very necessary conversation. The, 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 the way I want to leave it, it's just there's enough to go around, but we all seem to want to hoard more than we need. And that's what, that's, until that changes uh, with people in the micro, I can't see the world changing enough. But yeah, it's a very necessary conversation. I know it's something you've been very emotional about recently. Um, what are you doing down in Los Angeles at the moment? Why are you there instead of San Francisco? Um, well, I actually had to come check on the LA apartment because it's been a couple months. So, and uh, you know, my mail, I have a package that is arriving here. So I need to just come here. I'll be working uh, out of LA for a week and then I'll be returning to San Francisco. So it's kind of interesting being back. <laughs> it's like two different worlds, uh, but mm. it's so perfect for me because I feel like I'm I'm perfectly LA and also a huge part of me is so San Francisco. Those two energies are within me. You know, so I feel like I'm back at home, you know, but then I like miss San Francisco. Um, okay. I mean, I've spent, okay, I've probably spent in, in total in my life, I've probably spent about three months in Los Angeles. I've spent a lot more time in San Francisco. And maybe that's why I'm going to say what I'm going to say, but I just have so much more of a sense of affiliation with San Francisco than Los Angeles. And I know that you're a big fan of San Francisco too, even though you're from the LA area. Um, what is it that we love so much about San Francisco? I mean, you're going to buy a house here, so you must have a stronger <laughs> feeling for it overall than SoCal. Oh, man. Um, you know, I'll tell you, the first day uh, when I have been living in San Francisco for, for close to 10 years now, it's been about 10 years, I remember when I drove um, over the Bay Bridge and saw that San Francisco skyline with all of the uh, buildings, you know, it was Embarcadero, the ferry building. Mm. It ju I, the, I just still remember the feeling. It was like I, the feeling of falling in love. Mm. That's what it felt like for me. And I think that that's still true to this day about how I feel about San Francisco. And I, it's an energy there, you know, and I, will and I will describe it this way. I feel like there's opportunity around the corner all over San Francisco. Like that sort of feeling of discovery. Um, mm the feeling of opportunity, I still feel that, even despite all the recent, you know, gentrification and changes, it still gives me that hope, I think. So I, I just, uh, I just- What does that come from? Do you think that comes from the people? I think it comes from a vibe amongst the people. Yeah, because, you know- um, Like a building can't give you hope, can it? But a person can give you hope of opportunity. Yeah, it is the people. I mean, the people have changed a lot, but um, I've been lucky enough to sort of live in a community. I live in the Castro. And there's still a lot of people that have lived there for decades, you know? And just the way they treat one another and uh, the way I've been treated has been very kind. Um, and I, when I walk down the street too, and again, this is just my perspective, my experience, I feel that San Franciscans who've lived there for quite some time or even just five, 10 years and are there to stay, they, they, they go out of their way to be kind to people or help um, is, from what, is what I've seen. It's not perfect, obviously. I mean, it's still a very, very white society. You know, a lot of artists have been pushed out because of the tech money that's poured in. You know, there's mm -hmm. a lot of negative, you know, um, that's, that, that happens. You know, our homelessness situation is out of control. I mean, that is just so heartbreaking. It's not a very equal and progressive society as much as San Francisco likes to kind of push that idea. It's not as progressive as people think it is, right? But you know what? What city is perfect, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, it's not, but for me, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm in love with San Francisco through the good and the bad. And I believe in the city and I feel like 
it will hopefully one day kind of uh, take care of its citizens more, especially our homeless population, which needs a lot. Again, that's a systemic thing, isn't it? And that's the elephant in the room. Whenever you discuss San Francisco, the homelessness, because I have never witnessed anything like it in my life. I've traveled around quite a bit and I've never witnessed anything like the homelessness that you see in, I'd say even more so in Oakland, uh, but in San Francisco, it's so apparent as well. And it, it's, yeah, it's, it's so painful to see that. And that contrast is there for you every day, isn't it? That painful contrast of uber wealth and prosperity and, and these, this lucrative city. But then the, 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 this side effect, this byproduct of San Francisco, which is all these wasting away lives of people who don't have two pennies to rub together. And a lot of people seem to be desensitized to it. I think even, you know, we consider ourselves to be compassionate people, but maybe we become desensitized to it because we're sort of sitting behind our, you know, luxury coffee shop window in the, in the sanctity of this beautiful aspirational coffee shop. And then outside, somebody's pushing a, some destitute person is pushing a trolley past. Well, I, I agree with you. I mean, it's a hard feeling to reconcile. Um, I, and, and I think you know this. Um, there was a... With my photography, I followed around a uh, homeless feller that lives in the Castro, and he's been there for years. And he allowed me to photograph um, him over the course of a month. And I just always remember, I mean, talk about eye-opening. I mean, mm. that is a, an experience that I, to this day, when I, when I, I have a photo of him printed and framed, and when I look at him, <clears throat> it's, it, it's sort of a reminder of uh, how unfair this world is and how certain people are just uh, just suffering. And anyways, so um, I just remember when I would photograph him, I would, you know, when it was over for the day or whatnot, I would walk back home and be in my nice San Francisco apartment, you know, with a nice view. And I just remember I would just come home and I would sit there and and let that feeling kind of, live with me for a minute because i wanted yeah. to not forget my um and, and my my gratitude for what i have and, mm. and but you know i i could do more you know and we mm. all can but you're right it is not uh an easy situation when you are empathetic and uh you think you're socially awake socially conscious right it's 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 uh but something's got to change and you know It'll be interesting to see the you know the San Francisco community address it because you know there's a lot of issues with uh, even opening up sort of resources for these people like those uh, homeless shelters that uh, one of them just recently opened in Embarcadero and it caused an uproar in the community. Those people who had bought condos near it they don't want to oh be bothered by that. You know, and I remember I photographed one of those community meetings. Uh, with Mayor London Breed, and they just jumped down her throat. Like, how dare you come into this community and and sully it with you know the shelter? And we're gonna have homeless people uh, shooting up in in streets. And what about us? You know? And it's just mm. so disheartening that people would like they were just like thinking about themselves. They didn't give a shit about how it would help you know homeless people. Like, wow, really? That's the yeah. society we live in. It's again, it's an empathy thing, isn't it? I mean, you only need to sort of camp for a couple of days to, to realize how quickly you can get physically beaten down from not having your home comforts. 
especially camping with you. Oh man, that was an experience. I felt pretty beaten down the next morning, that's for sure. <laughs> Nothing that a bottomless emotion couldn't sort out for you. Oh, that was... <laughs> um, but but you know, again, we've we've drawn, uh, we've 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 put we've shone a light on the bad part of San Francisco. But I would say, you know, that aside, it's probably the nicest city that I've ever lived in. We both live in the Castro. Well, you do when you're back in San Francisco, and you've lived there for a long time. You're even considering buying a house here. But I think it's the friendliest place that I've ever been, Castro. It's one of the friendliest <laughs> cities. It's one of the friendliest pockets of a friend, a very friendly city. Everybody is so welcoming. You can strike up a conversation with anybody in Castro within the space of a couple of minutes. It's so friendly, it's so colorful, and it's just one small part of the wonderful city, isn't it? What else do we love about San Francisco? I love the greenery. I'm not a big fan of cityscapes in general, but San Francisco actually looks pretty, it looks pretty for, for a cityscape. It's not too big. You can walk across San Francisco easily. It's very traversable, it's very accessible. It's very green, it's very friendly. It's, it's very just, expensive. It's very expensive. <laughs> Jesus no, you know what? That, that's the other thing that I do absolutely love about San Francisco is all of the outdoor activities available to you. I mean, you can go urban hiking. Um, Sutro, uh, the oh Sutro Reserve, you've been there, so right? beautiful. I, mean, oh I live gosh. there. I go there every day. There you go. So Sutro Reserve is a place that I discovered a few years back. And when you're in there, it's like a forest. Like you can lift it eucalyptus trees you really feel away from a city when you're there and i, I love mm. to i love to just go on hikes in our backyard i'm very lucky to have you know sutra sutra reserve and then we have like the hill like kite hill there's a lot of hills in san francisco so a lot of hiking opportunities and you know you're not too far from the ocean even though it's freezing but you know there's a lot of nature incorporated into the city did you yep. hear about that mountain lion that was running around the city they recently? caught it right they caught it, yeah. But so you know, there's a lot of nature around you, and, and you're right. It is a very beautiful city. The people are friendly for the most part. <laughs> um, you know, so yes, so friendly. And you're it's right. Cool. I mean, I but I felt that in California in general. It's a place of opportunity. Ever since I got to America, I felt as if if you are somebody that's prepared to work hard and you have a decent amount of honesty and uh, you know rudimentary social skills then you can do all right for yourself in america the opportunities do exist again i speak from a point of privilege but yeah, yeah it's always felt like a place of opportunity and hope and you know there's just a, a there's a friendly a sunny disposition about people from california in general isn't there yeah, I think California. Yeah, I think the I'm I'm very. I think we're both very lucky to live in uh, California. That is, for the most part, you know, pretty progressive and and does kind of uh, like our you know our governor, uh, Governor Newsom is he's uh, San Franciscan, you know. And I remember when I, at one point when I was living in San Francisco, um, he was voted in as the mayor. And I was just like, oh, no, this guy, you know, he comes from wealth and he hangs out with the Gettys, you know. But, you know, one of the first things that he did was um, legalize gay marriage for a few days. Before right. Down. And I just remember thinking, wow, so now that he's governor, you know, like he really, I feel, passes policies for the state to really take care of its, its uh, citizens, you know. Mm -hmm. So we are very lucky. California is, I think, for the most part, mostly, uh, you know, kind of more on the liberal progressive side which benefits, I think, a lot, like myself, you know, I'm a gay 
gay American, you know? So it does help. I feel protected, I guess I should say. And not a lot of people around, you know, who are gay or LGBTQ feel that or have that security. You know, talk about being, you know, trans in the Midwest, you know? Wow. You know, there's still, and also for anybody that's LGBTQ who's a worker, you know, there's not, um, there's, there were still, before recently, they, I think they just passed, federal government just passed protections, right, for that community. But, you know, for a long time, a lot of states, you know, they could discriminate. If you were an employer, you can discriminate and fire anybody who's LGBTQ. And here in California, I don't have to worry Crazy. about that. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah. a, it's a matter of, like, perspective and, and knowing, like, hey, we are very privileged, right? And I think, you know, San Francisco does, I mean, there's not a lot of Black people living in San Francisco that to be mm-hmm. honest you know so like our experience is going to be way different right like we yeah. we're white so we have it's like san francisco's our oyster pretty much right so oh my I'm god absolutely have you seen the last black man in san francisco you must have done the last what was that the last black man in san francisco no that's another good movie that i have oh, watched. dude Did you, watch you have to watch it unbelievable dude what watch you it tonight please so what did you love about uh, it it, the point that it makes, of course, and the way that the film is made, it is so art house, it's so musical, it's so colorful, it's edited beautifully, it's just wonderfully symbolic. Oh my God, you're going to absolutely love it. It's such I'll a great it. movie. As long as it's on Netflix, because that's all I got. I, I don't it may, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's on Netflix. It's absolutely amazing. That and A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood are my favorite films for the last oh. three years, I'd say, three or four years. But I, oh I, I experienced the actual show. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm you saw it firsthand. I just remember thinking, who is this pedophile? <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing, isn't it? That was what was wonderful about a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. My mind, because of the modern world, because of the, the news that I read these days, I was suspicious of him for like yes. at least two thirds of the film, thinking, when's it, you know, when's his. When is his truth going to be exposed? Oh, absolutely. That's what I wanted out. to clarify with my statement is that I was so distrustful of this grown man being yeah. so genuine and friendly and all about the the, the child, right? Um, I was very distrustful of that. <laughs> it just shows how badly skewed the world has become that we are so distrusting of people like that who are loving towards kids. Yes. We're in that we're in that sort of world. We're in that sort of epoch. It's so sad. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, wonderful film. And I I cried uncontrollably after coming out of the movie cinema watching that movie, um, because obviously my dad had died fairly recently as well, and he's such a a paternal figure. Um, mm-hmm. The the main character from Another Day in the Neighborhood, so a beautiful day in the neighborhood. So yeah, it was just it resonated so much, and it was I was crying tears of joy, I guess. But I mm-hmm. literally uncontrollably crying. Oh wow! Well, you are a crybaby. <laughs> are you are you a spiritual person, or do you think everything can be pretty much explained by science? No, I'm very spiritual. I, I would consider myself a very spiritual person. Uh, there are a lot. I, I, here's the way I th- uh, I view the world. There's a lot of things that cannot be explained, and um, I attribute it to you know otherworldly things. You know, it would be sad if we lived in a world that was all science. You know. Mm. Like, where's the magic in that? Like, I want some magic in, in my life in this world, you know? Um, Have you ever seen anything that is uh, really strange? Yeah. That I could not I, really be just... Oh, absolutely. Like, I, I think I... Oh, man, my friends think I'm so funny and crazy when I talk about some of the weird shit that I've seen, you know? Uh, Give it to me. It's exactly I, what I want. Again, I, I'm Mexican. I, you know, we believe in, in the afterlife. We 
we, you know, we believe in uh, when our family members pass, it's not the end. Like there's another world that you enter, right? We're very spiritual in that sense. Yeah. Um, but I remember when I, uh, I moved into this apartment in Silver Lake, uh, California, in Los Angeles. And uh, was this the most recent time? No, no, I moved around oh. a lot. Okay, I get it. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is true. I do move around a lot. I'm kind of, you know, I don't know. That's just the lifestyle, I guess. Variety is the spice of life. Like a traveling artist. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but uh, I moved into this old building. It was it, very nice, like hardwood floors, but very old Hollywood, you know, mm. like early 1900s. And I had a roommate. And I just remember one night I was, uh, laying in bed it was like 10 o'clock it was during the week you know i was going to bed early to you know be fresh for work i was laying there uh, and i hadn't fallen asleep yet i just had my eyes closed uh, i heard the sound of electricity it's kind of like surging you know like when a power breaker kind of pops and you hear that mm -hmm. kind of noise and i i opened my eyes because i was startled and i at the foot of the bed was this uh the only way i could describe it was this sort of uh floating figure that was the color of smoke at the foot of my bed um and and i just remember thinking wow like i must be losing it you know it, and it looked wow. like a woman i don't know how i knew it was a woman but it was just this figure sort of floating there and that it made me scream out of uh, out of fright you know at the top of my lungs and thinking no i must be dreaming and i must have fallen asleep and the being was still there, whatever it was. So I screamed again, and, and, and that, that thing was still there. And so I screamed a third time, you know? And at that point, like, I just knew that this was really happening to me. This was an experience racing. And then the, the, the figure just sort of floated away. And, and as soon as it hit the wall, it just sort of dissipated slowly. Um, and I'll, it was just, I never experienced anything like that. And, and it just, honestly, that's what makes me, that confirmed to me that there are experiences that happen in life that just cannot be explained. It's something else. So I'm that person. <laughs> nice. No, I think I am too. Like, I definitely want, you know, I don't want to put everything down to science. I don't think everything can be explained by science. You know, as you know, uh, we are having a baby. We were expecting a baby in November. And I've never really given too much thought to childbirth or, you know, babies in wombs or anything like that. But the more I've thought about it now, it just seems so miraculous. I mean, our, our level of understanding in this universe is minuscule still. Well, you know what I wonder about, you know, when a baby, like anybody, right? Like where, like what makes a person them? What makes them a person with the soul like what is the soul like i've always just been so fascinated by that right because we are we're not just like you know blood and veins and and atoms and you know it, like there's something yeah. else there's another there is an other that i think is part of the equation of what makes a, a person a human being right where does that come from right that to me is just another thing that can't be explained by by science right and do you think that endures after your body dies? I'd like to think so, because wouldn't it be sad if there's nothing else after this crazy thing we call life? Isn't that? I, I feel that, you know, the body will expire at some point, but I have to, it's not that I want to believe it. It's just I feel instinctively that something continues afterwards. Well, we give, a, we are energy, right? And I, mm. and my thought is that energy 
once we our body dies transforms into another form of energy that's my hope i mean it would be really sad if there wasn't anything else or that we weren't becoming a part of something bigger but you know, nobody, nobody really knows. You're going to have to let me know when that happens. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this, but have you ever um, been into drugs in any meaningful way? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Really? <laughs> I've never I mean, really thought of you as a drug taker. I mean... Your drug of choice is alcohol. <laughs> Our choice of, of drugs. <laughs> Our what would, choice. <laughs> what would be your favorite drink? What is your favorite drink? Um... Okay, so just to clarify on the drugs question, I think yeah. when you know, you're young, I was young, a teenager, I experimented. I mean, nothing too hardcore, you know, I wasn't into heroin or anything like that. And mm. in fact, you know, once I was sort of tapering down from that, I was probably like 20, 21, I, I, I filled my parents in. And they were just so shocked because they never saw me as somebody that was into drugs. But really? you know, we, all, we all have to kind of have our experiences and I kind of chose to partake. Um, obviously not any, you know, it's been a really long time, obviously, but, um, mm. uh, but, you know, cause I, I think some drugs like, you know, uh, mind altering drugs can have positive effects. You know, there's people that are microdosing on LSD and there's a lot of, yeah. that sort of has a lot of, uh, positive impact on people's like, uh, depression and whatnot. But anyways, that's a whole other podcast, but my favorite drink, <laughs> which is my favorite drug is alcohol. Um, Oh shit! I, you know, you're, I'm gonna have to. Normally, you'll have a beer thing. or a wine, but I could. I just want to know what your perfect scenario would be as you, you know, as you saunter into some beautiful LA bar. What would be your ideal drink? You know, if I ever do go like to a nice, uh, nice bar, there's actually a nice LA uh, bar not too far from me. I order a martini, a mm. vodka martini, a dirty vodka martini, and um, there's just something about sipping on that um and being in a very nice like having a, a nice ambiance around you mm. that just makes me feel like a grown-up <laughs> yeah sophisticated. I'm such a big kid. i feel a little sophisticated you know uh, but and, like, a, and was, a lot about a lot of drinks sort of you know a lot of drinks numb you don't they you just get more mellow and more relaxed but then there's other drinks which sharpen you up make you feel high i suppose tequila tequila that's a good yes. one yes i've been into yeah. tequila recently and that you know, did you know that tequila has medicinal properties to it? Really? I don't know. That's when someone told me at a bar. So I believe that. <laughs> that's why you're making yourself believe it. Yeah, that's why I'm drinking it in large amounts. Um, We've drunk a fair amount of tequila together. Have we? I thought it was yeah. mostly beer and wine. Yeah, but we always had a few shots when we're getting a bit heady. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I'm very careful with... Uh, hard alcohol I uh, now that I'm I mean, this is the truth I have to be honest like I just I can't handle hangovers so I try to be mm. much more mindful of my uh, alcohol consumption I know hard to believe right but honestly <laughs> it's a product of age I I, I just can't I, I can't deal with hangovers it's just yeah. not like there's I have so much going on that I need to be you know firing on all cylinders most of the time um, but that's not to say that, you know, I don't get carried away and it's hard not to when, look, when you and I get together, we have the best conversations <laughs> over wine, you know, it's easy to get carried away, you know, but isn't that the way of life? Isn't mm. it? 
<laughs> Absolutely. And I, I'm, I'm holding you to one of those such sessions before the little baby comes along. We've definitely oh, got to put boy. the world to rights. Ziggy, little Ziggy's coming. Little, How excited um, are you? Very excited. I cannot wait. I'm really thrilled by the whole situation. But as I said, it's just made me, I've been a bit overwhelmed by the idea, the concept. And, you know, when I, I saw the latest scan, as you, I think I sent it to you as well, you could see this little baby moving around in the womb. And it's just, wow, the world really is miraculous. Oh, man, I am so happy for you and Dee. It's just going to be such an incredible experience for you guys. Yeah, and I'll see you I'll later. I'll see you later. You'll never be around. <laughs> I know. I'm like, well, there there goes that friendship. Well, it's interesting because as a, as a gay man, you know, uh, you know, I, the majority of my friends are, are straight. It's, it's just kind of the way it is. Really? And yeah, isn't that interesting? Um but uh, a lot of the times, you know, this, my straight friend couple, they end up getting married and when they have a child, it does change, your, your, your friendship does evolve, right? Yeah. Um, and it makes me kind of question sort of my, what I want out of life because, you know, that sometimes I do want kids, other times I don't. Really? But when you're in the LGBTQ community, I think that the whole like uh, heteronormative sort of uh, way of life doesn't necessarily apply to you there's a freedom to sort of create your own sort of mm. path in life like you don't have to have kids you can just travel the world or whatever do whatever the hell you want you know like go to bars or whatnot but um i don't know it's just uh makes me kind of cha it challenges my the viewpoint i have on my own life and what i want out of it and yeah i think maybe kids might be in the future who knows you're i think you'd be a I think you'd be a great dad. I mean, I know that you're a great friend. I can honestly say, I can honestly say that uh, had I not met you, I, I don't think I'd have stuck it out in America. I mean, really? I think I'll be, oh. I'll be here, I'll be here indefinitely now. But your friendship, when I was on my own, lonely in America, um, was amazing. And you know, <laughs> we're both, we're both, we're both divas. Let's be honest. But. <laughs> But you, there was never a time when I was flying solo in America, there was never a time when you didn't make yourself available to me. Whatever you were doing, if I <laughs> called you up and I was in a funk, you'd be like, come over, let's go and have a couple of drinks. I'll give you my total focus and attention. You come stay at my house. And you have no idea the value that that had to me then and still I feel in this now because I can basically forgive you any crime because you <laughs> have been such a great friend to me and I cherish that I cherish our friendship oh that's very heartwarming to hear thank you I you know you, you need your friend and I think you again it was our instant connection that made it so easy for me to want to be there for you and 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 honestly when I consider someone a friend I'm I'm pretty loyal you know and I, I kind of stick you know stick through anything with with a, with a friend you know especially if they're in need in fact you're a carer kind of, yeah like you're a natural carer care but mm. for me i don't i'm the opposite like i kind of want to be the person that's there for a friend like mm. it's hard for me to reach out to friends for help but i know that i could with you i think you're that kind of friend that would damn straight rob anything i'd be insulted if you care. didn't <laughs> exactly so if i ever do need a friend i know i can come to you and say, hey, you know, I need you to be there for me, and you would. So it's good mm. to know that I have that support system in case I need it. But you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're the best. Um, I The only thing that's really upsetting me about this is because you're in Los Angeles, we can't go and, like, you know, finish off the podcast by having way too many drinks together. 
hey, they, that's a good thing for you and me. Um, so <laughs> we got lucky in that front. Follow us on Twitter at Natural High Club or go straight to the website, thenaturalhighclub.com. And remember to subscribe to the Natural High Podcast through whichever platform you're listening to get every new pod straight.